Friday. What's up? Episode 61. Bet Parks presents Stick to Hockey Live. Anthony DeMarco in the bullpen for the Fightins. Be tapping in the left-hander here soon. I'm assuming he's a left-hander. He's probably a left shot. It seems like more hockey players are left shot than right shot. Right shot's the unicorn. Although on my kids' team, we have... I think like 70% of the kids are right-handed. It's bizarre. I see all these right-handed sticks on the bench, and I'm like, what is going on here? Um, it's Jason Bertitas. It is episode 61 of Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live. I got some interesting stuff to talk about today with Anthony DeMarco from the fourth period. We'll do that in a second. Let me tell you about Bet Parks because it's kicking off. Literally, college football is here this week. Week zero. Thank God. We get some sports besides baseball to bet on baseball might be your thing. You might love betting on baseball, live in-game betting, same-game parlays, player performances, you name it. That's great. And you got the remainder of the baseball season and the postseason to gamble on as well. But now you've got college football. you got the NFL around the corner, literally around the corner at this point. And it is a great time of year to get the Bet Parks app if you don't have it. And for new and existing users, you can use the promo code JASON750, and that'll get you a risk-free bet. Not only up to 500 bucks, how about 750 bones? Jason 750, risk-free bet, up to $750. Terms and conditions do apply again and for new and existing users. It's easy to use, fast, easy to deposit, easy to withdraw, and you can get all your action in right on the Bet Parks app. Do it today, faster to win than ever before. And uh, you do need to be present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's go to the man right now from the fourthperiod.com. Coming to us live from Montreal. Montreal, you're on the show. It is Anthony DeMarco. I'm like doing my old radio shit today. Uh, what's going on, brother? Not much, man. Look like shit, but I've been uh, dealing with a bug of sorts for the last few days. But I think I'm on the men finally. Hey. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. Like um, have you ever- like stomach allergy combo? Is that what you got? Because that's what I got. I got the combo platter. No, no, not even. I've literally had like an on and off fever since Saturday night, and it isn't COVID. I got mm. tested, so it's not COVID. But uh, and you know, like a low grade fever, like uh, you know, slightly above a hundred, just stuff like that. But I mean, like when you have a fever for like three, four, five days, like it just absolutely exhausts you, and I feel yeah. like it weakens everything else about your body. It zaps you. It totally yeah. does. I get it. Like the last, like Harry was uh, the guy who I do IGs with. Um, Harry was giving me shit yesterday. He's like, what's your deal lately? And I'm like, dude, I've just felt like shit. Just run down and I'm tired of the summer heat and humidity. It's the hour, the end of summer allergies suck here. I've been sneezing for four days nonstop. And I'm tired of being stuffed up and blowing the horn, but whatever. Um, real quick, there is an announcement. I just got this email from the Flyers a little bit ago that the Flyers have hired Ian McEwen as vice president athletic of athletic performance and wellness. It says the Flyers create a senior position to implement and oversee a comprehensive athlete performance and wellness program, including training, sports medicine, rehabilitation, sports psychology, sports science, nutrition, and more. McEwen was selected for cr- this critical new role after a global search process. Now, this is cr- this is pretty wild because this is definitely a step into the future because you see, we've seen teams do this Ant, in the NFL about sports science and 
all these different things. But I mean, the amount of roles that this guy is going to cover, I mean, for everything from training to medicine, rehab, sports psychology, sports science, nutrition, and more. You know, I think this is I think this is a good move. I don't know anything about Ian McEwen. I don't. But I think this is a good move because we've seen so much attrition of injury that's happened over really since the pandemic hit. And maybe this is a way to head that off even before injuries happen. And I think that's what this is kind of clued in to do. Yeah. And like, look, there was if there was one thing about the Flyers last season that wasn't exactly their fault it was the amount of injuries that was hit with them and maybe it was their fault if you look at it from let's say a uh, management perspective because they were maybe not doing enough due diligence into correcting that part of the organization but the amount of injuries that hit this team last year and the amount of players that got re-injured upon their return was alarming and Chuck Fletcher pretty much alluded to it, right? That, you know, that was something that they were going to address in the off season. And, you know, you even look at like what's going on with like the ongoing saga of Ryan Ellis and, you know, Adam, Adam Kimmelman's article this uh, last week with John Tortorella saying that he's not sure if he's going to start the season or he'd be surprised if he starts the season, which isn't shocking news by any stretch. But I mean, no. like you said that this new role is going to cover much more, than just one particular thing. It's like this broad umbrella that's just going to cover everything from like sports science to nutrition. And like, I feel like it was the NBA who started with this, with the load management and all that. Mm. And like, I don't know if we're ever going to see load management in the NHL quite to the degree of some of the star players in the NBA. Most notably, I remember when Kawhi Leonard played with the Toronto Raptors in 2019, 2020. It felt like, or no, sorry, it was 2018, 2019. And it felt like every second game the guy wasn't playing. He played like 58 games that year. I remember that. It was crazy. It was absolutely astonishing. And look, they won the NBA championship, so I guess it worked out for the best. But I mean... I guess that's more like you run into a dicey situation when people are paying for tickets and the guy is by far the best player on the team and he may not play that night. But look, I mean, it feels like sports is trending more in a, I guess, player friendly direction. Yeah. And, you know, a big thing, I remember when Chip Kelly was the coach of the Eagles, he was at the forefront of sports science. And this is, God, it's almost 10 years ago at this point when Chip came in to coach the Eagles and all this, you know, at that time, it was almost looked at as like voodoo, you know, uh, but he was real big on everybody drinking these certain kind of shakes and sports science. And this this involves sports psychology as well, which I think is so important. Um, I'm a big believer in sports psychology because I think that since the pandemic is hit, you know, the notion that these guys aren't human, I think, is is something perceived by a lot of people. And the pandemic has affected everybody in in different ways and affected performance as a professional athlete, which, you know, a downgrade in performance can bring a whole host of other psychological issues into your life because this is your livelihood. Like, think about the pandemic hitting and now all of a sudden you can't do your job to the same efficiency for whatever reason and what kind of stress that would put on you because that's how you make your living. Like, these aren't just like, these aren't just jobs that we pluck out of the air and they're great, but um, I think this is a really important role. I, I'm, I'm going to be texting uh, Joe Seville today to try and get Ian McEwen on Flyers Daily because I got a ton I want to ask a guy, a hire like this. I applaud it. 
because I think that this is going to be something that you're going to see Ant go right across the NHL. I think you're going to see teams like the Blackhawks. I think you're going to see, you know, organizations, high value organizations with a lot, a lot of them doing this. Yeah. And I think it, it has to, right. And, you know, you bring up the pandemic and like how hard it must've been for athletes and like, obviously not being able to prepare for your job and get ready to, you know, do your livelihood to the best of your abilities. But even from the sense of like, and like this could work for like the everyday man of like where you got to a point where all you could do was go to work and then come home and go to work and come home. And the kind of mental strain it kind of puts on you when you can't get that escape, whether that escape is going to play cards with the boys or going to work out at the gym or going to, you know, do whatever, go for supper every Friday night with your spouse. I think that there were a lot of things that were taken from people during the pandemic because of lockdowns, because of restrictions that really kind of had, and most specifically, maybe athletes trapped in their own minds. And if you're a young guy living out of, let's say, your your comfort zone and you're living by yourself, I think uh, you had mentioned that Carter Hart went through a really rough time in that COVID shortened season because of that. And then in the in the bubble in 2020, we know that a lot of the flyers with families kind of had a really rough go with it because you get ripped apart from your families. You have to go live in a hotel for weeks on end and just kind of play hockey and then retreat back to a room, play hockey and then retreat back to a room like that's not playoff hockey. You know, if you we were dealing with the pandemic at home with our people around us, right? Yeah. Like a hotel is the most sterile environment in the world next to a hospital. Oh like, yeah. You, it literally like your room and you, you can't open the window. Like we go, we go, Oh yeah, they're staying in a nice hotel. That's awesome. Room service. Try doing it for a month. Yeah. Being in a hotel is miserable. It's like just you you do not you feel like you're hermetically sealed. You know, I, I think this is a yeah, I gotta tell you, like Ian McEwen, I'm hoping he's available to the broadcast staff. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Screw just the players. I want I want to get in on this action because I, now here's the deal about McEwen. I, I'm reading more about him. It says um, at Port Adelaide, McEwen designed and implemented an organizational wide commitment to strategic training and wellness consisting of a team of sports science, sports medicine, and strength and conditioning professionals in direct collaboration with players and coaches. He's also consulted for world-class sports organizations, which included professional teams in the U.S. and top-level rugby clubs around the world. Now, he's a native of uh, the county down in Northern Ireland. In Northern Ireland. Uh, hmm. he, McEwen has spent 12 years living in Australia. Oh, this guy is like so well-traveled. He's got a Ph.D. in strength and conditioning from the University of uh, Canberra. And he also holds a Bachelor of Science degree in sports and exercise science from Ulster University in Northern Ireland. Oh, I can't wait to talk to this guy. I got to get him on the show. Um, anyway. He's going to have a kick-ass accent. Oh, he's got to. <laughs> oh, man. And as as a, I'm half Irish. My mom was fully Irish. The other side is like total mutt from my dad's side. <laughs> but I love the Irish people. I do. And it has nothing to do with drinking. So that's just, <laughs> that's just a stereotype. So anyway. Um, this is a really interesting hiring. I think we need to dive into it further when we have some more time, but, um, there's something I want, two things I want to get into on the show today. It's going to be kind of a quickie broadcast today, but first of all, we're knocking on the door of August a week from today will be what August for, or September 1st. And there's a couple things, you know, 
the Flyers are coming off two really bad seasons. And it's so interesting to me as a guy, I've been in broadcasting and in media or whatever you want to call it, radio, performance media, whatever, since 1994. I remember it well. Penn State went undefeated that year. <laughs> I was up in State College with Kerry Collins and Kajana Carter and Brady at tight end. And it was unbelievable. And went to the Rose Bowl and beat, beat Oregon. And I've been in this a really long time and in radio a really long time. And I will tell you that negativity breeds more passion and breeds more audience. Now, what do I mean by that? So when I was doing sports radio for a long, long time, 20 plus years, when the Eagles would win a game, a big game, that Monday after they'd won a big game, the radio station was kind of crickets. You know, the buzz around the station, the buzz on the air. We might have been buzzing because we were happy, but the engagement with the audience was so much less than when the Eagles would lose to the Cowboys or lose to the Giants. And our audience would be way bigger. I mean, I remember looking at the numbers. Eagles just beat the Cowboys. Huge win to go to, you know, 11-3 and three on the season. And the audience was... Pfft. Eagles lose to the Cowboys to go to 7-9 and nine on the season. Audience is huge. Now, why is that? And I'm seeing it on social media. And what do I mean by this? Because the Flyers have been shit the last two years. And everybody says, I'm apathetic, I'm done. Bullshit. I see your tweets every day. I see the same things being talked about every day. And sometimes losing and being bad makes you, puts the hooks of fandom in you even more. Because misery does love company. Elation doesn't love company. Misery loves company. And what is sports? The congregation of fans. What is fandom? It is the collective group of fans. And there's nothing collective more than misery. There's not apathy with this team. Because I I see the people talking about it all through the month of August. People are still in. Pissed off rightfully so, but they are still in. I think that apathy kind of sets in when you become middle of the road. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know maybe it's a while ago and I'm misremembering, but I feel like apathy really set in in the Hextall years more so where they were middle of the road. As a, like, I mean, there were like small groups who were like really bought into the rebuild. You had like the fake prospect gurus who were all like loving it because they would draft like nine times, nine, 10, 11 times in every draft year. But when I remember like, you know, you, they don't make the playoffs in 14, 15, that was a really bad year. Then they barely make it in 15 then they don't make it in 16, then 17, they don't make it again. Or I'm mixing up some of the years. Yeah. It was every other year. Yeah. Every other year. That was it. They so, made it an even number of years and they missed it in the odd years. Yeah, and I remember, like, in 17-18, they were pretty good, and that's where it kind of turned around a bit. And, and then... Cruz 102 season. Yeah, exactly, and, like, Goss Spear had the big year that year. Mm-hmm. Voracek, I think, had, like, 85 points. That was Katoria's breakout year. 
And I, I still say this day, if you had another defenseman and an actual starting goalie, who knows what happens that year. Yeah. But, I mean, you get to 18-19, it comes off the rails very quickly, Hextall gets fired, Hextall gets fired, and then the rest of that year, the apathy kind of sets in again. And then in the Fletcher years, they start off really well, right? Right before COVID hits, all that, everyone gets riled up. And since that year, people have been tuning in with that hope that they could get back. But it's kind of done like this 180 so fast from really good and really hopeful to a complete bleeping disaster that all of the sudden it's you're in like full blown misery mode. And look, I I do think that there is a certain portion of the fan base, maybe like the older school that maybe mailed it in. Like, I'm curious to see how the attendance is this uh, this season. It's not going to be good. (laughs) It's not going to be good for sure. But I mean, I do think that there are talking points because at least from like from our job perspective, from a talking point perspective, covering this team perspective, the expectations are so low that people are waiting for them to, you know, fuck up for a lack of better terms. terms. People are waiting for the bad to start and there will be bad. There's could probably be more bad than good. But I'm still interested to see how entertaining and entertaining could be very subjective because it could be both kind of positive or negative in a lot of ways. But how entertaining this season is going to be because of all that. Yeah, it's you're right. It's a very subjective term. Like, what are you entertained by? A lot of people will say I'm entertained by winning. Yeah. And look, I get it. But sometimes winning isn't entertaining. Like, look at the Devils, right? All those years. Was that entertaining? Was Guy Boucher's team in Tampa Bay entertaining because they won? I mean, he had some good teams, and they won. But I got to tell you, they were like the worst hockey team to watch in the world at that time. <laughs> he ran that one three one four check where he just sat there. I mean, he wouldn't – the one, F1, sometimes wouldn't even go below the top of the circle. They would just fall back and suffocate you in the neutral zone and your D zone entry and try and go the other way. They were keen to win games two to one or three to three to one all the time. But entertaining, you know, winning is entertaining. Will they do more winning than losing? No, I don't think so. Not this year. Not with the lineup that they have and and the question marks and the holes that they have, which brings me to why I want to hit you on next because you know, I, I could not fall asleep last night. I'm laying there. I looked at the clock. I went, I go, 309. Jesus, fuck, go to sleep. <laughs> and I couldn't fall asleep. And I got, all these, I got all these dumb thoughts going through my head. And it's, and I'm always thinking about, like, the next show or bro, things I want to talk about. And I got my notebook next to the bed, and I make notes and, and, and just think about things. And sometimes I'll pick up the phone like an idiot and look at Twitter. And that's a whole other shit show that, oh, now you get on that rabbit hole. But last night, I'm looking around thinking, you know, hey, what, what we can talk about tomorrow on the show, the whole thing. And I saw a tweet. I think it was from Anthony DeGrazio about how many wins he thinks. Yeah, here he is. He said, in the 56-game 2020-2021 season, the Flyers had 25 wins. In the 82-game season last year, the Flyers had 25 wins. And then he says, 82 games in 22-23 season, question mark. 
In other words, how many wins will they have this year? And then he said, my guess is 32. What do you think? And there's been pretty good response to the tweet. You know, I read through them because I'm, I, I like to be tortured. And you know, <laughs> seeing people's responses, and some of them, you know, are, you know, a, 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 a response that's serious. Like, hey, I think, I think they'll win 23 games, like one guy said. Another guy said 24. Another guy said minus 82, you know, so whatever. But also, like, I'm not ready to make predictions on the season just yet. How many wins I think they're capable of. I think there's just so many variables going in with Tortorella, with how this team's going to come together. Ellis is not going to start the season, but Tony D'Angelo, Ivan Provorov, all these different things, you know, I have no idea how many games they're going to win. Uh, and I'm not ready to make that, you know, that prediction at this time. But, I mean, could they be a team that wins more than 25 games last year? Yeah. Could they be a team that wins less than 25 games last year? Yes. <laughs> How's that for waffling? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I've I've kind of landed on they're going to be hockey 500. But, like, hockey 500 doesn't mean that you have to win 41 games. It could mean that you win. 32. What is it? Yeah, 32 mm-hmm. games, but then you make that up in the overtime losses. Yeah. But that that's just I've I just see them as a team that finishes between 80, let, let's say like 75 and 85 points. That's where I think that they'll fall in. So I guess from a points perspective, that's probably gonna get them between let's say 32 and 37 points, somewhere in that range, or 32 and 37 wins. So I, I guess, um, I, like, I could understand people who think they'll win more in, like, the 20 range. And like you said, it could be very, very possible. It wouldn't shock me at all. And yeah. a lot of this is health depending. You know, will guys be able to, you know, rebound from health and or stay healthy? And will Sean Couturier be able to be the guy he was a season or two ago? But, I mean, I think if you're all healthy, I don't think it's as bad as a team as people think. I've said it before, I do like their defense. Um, I do think that the coach is going to make a big difference. But I just think that, is it a playoff team? All th- you know, all things being equal? No, I think you're coming up short in that department. But I still don't think it's like one of the worst teams in the NHL. And yeah. that that's strictly because I, I like the goaltending, even though Sandstrom's the backup. I'm, I think I'm one of the only few people that I'm kind of excited to see Felix Sandstrom in the backup role. And uh, I like the defensive group, but again, I see them falling right around the hockey 500 mark. So I guess that would be like 30 to 37 wins. Yeah. I, I mean, you kind of nailed it because 75 points last year, like Buffalo finished with 75 points. They, they were 32, 39 and 11. Okay. And then if, if they go up to like 84 points, the Islanders finished with 84 points, 37, 35, and 10. They were actually okay. over hockey five after what was just a horrific start to the season. Yeah. Um, you know, the crazy part is, you know, the New Jersey Devils finished two points ahead of the Flyers. Like, this love for the Devils, like, fuck off. It's every that year. Team, it's that team hasn't done shit. Year. Yeah, they have some good players. They bring in Hamilton last year. They brought in... Some goaltending help. Mackenzie Blackwood's not the guy. He is the guy. That team hasn't moved forward at all. I mean, if they don't move significantly forward, I'm talking 20 standings points, then, I mean, to me, that's a team that hasn't done anything with some of the players that they have. And I think they have some good players. Yeah. 
Well, when you have two top six centers that you drafted, what, first and second overall, respectively, in 2017 and 2018, now, I both, mean, you... no, they're both first overall. He sure was number one, and so was Jack Oh, Peter. shit, you're right. Okay, so yeah. two first overall players in 17 and 18. So, I mean, uh, you should theoretically be doing something. And then you have guys like Ty Smith. You bring in uh, Dougie Hamilton. You have a guy like Jesper Broad. Like, they should be a better team. But for whatever reason, this team just can't seem to pull it all together. Uh, I don't know what it is. It, it just always... Pardon me? Coaching with Lindy? Is he on the hot seat? I think he's on a hot seat. I think he would have to be. Like, yeah. I mean, he's not a spring chicken either. Like, I don't think Lindy Ruff's best years are ahead of him by any stretch. Yeah. And, Lindy and, home and, and Ruff on the road. <laughs> <laughs> and and it does feel like that organization really kind of pulled, like, a, a brisk detour in the middle of this rebuild or rebirth, whatever you want to call it, when they fired uh, Ray Shiro. And then mm-hmm. they moved on to Tom Fitzgerald. Like that seemed kind of weird how they pivoted yeah, on that. Odd. Yeah. It, it felt very, very odd. So, I mean, I'm sure that has something to do with it as well. But yeah, I would expect them to be better. But even at this juncture, like I don't see New Jersey being a playoff team. I don't either. I really don't. And you know, despite some of that young talent, I don't know. They, they It keeps getting sold to me, but I just don't see the result. Um, the last thing I want to get to, Ant, is in, in the comments of Anthony DeGrazio's tweet about how many wins they may have, there was a guy, FCKC Fletcher, so I guess that's fuck Fletcher. Um, <laughs> he said it, his prediction was 22 wins. Then he went on to say this. He said, Couturier will have 48 points and will lead the team in points, and his fans will blame his recovery from his injury for why he only had 48 points. He said, instead of blaming the departure of Giroux, who carried him for five years. Um, I couldn't disagree with this dude more. Maybe, you know what? Maybe in some ways the last three years, Couturier carried Giroux. Is that possible? That Couturier could... I, I don't see Giroux carrying him at all because I watched the games. It's not like he just sits there and feeds Couturier or Couturier just sat there and fed Giroux and he filled it up. Couturier is an all-zone player, a 200 by 85 player that drives play on his own despite even with or without Giroux. I don't think that Giroux was carrying Sean Couturier. I think he'll have way more. If he plays, say he plays 70 games, he'll have more than 48 points. No, of course. I believe. Like, look, I think that Couturier's, like, raw offensive numbers were brought up from playing with a guy like Giroux just because Giroux, let's say, in 17-18 and 18-19 was just so damn spectacular. When he, I think 18-19, he also got 85 points or something. Mm-hmm. So, like, look, I think it helped Couturier playing with a guy who was a dominant offensive player at that time. So maybe instead of having 65 points, he had 78 points. But carrying, I think that is that's stretching it a lot because specifically in 1920, I don't think Giroux was particularly great that year. Like he was good, but I don't think he was particularly great. And that was the year that Katori won the Selkie, where he was and yet like, Giroux's numbers were down that year. They he were down more of the team game at that point. 
Yeah, and look, I, I don't think that's fair. I like if he play like if Katori plays like seventy five games or more, I would expect him to have probably sixty to sixty five points. And look, that's not all on him. Like, I don't think there's a legitimate, you know, standalone. We've talked about this. I don't think there's a standalone top line winger on this team. Yeah. Like, Couturier is going to have to be the end-all, be-all up front in a lot of ways, specifically on that top line. And yeah, yes, and that they, doesn't mean that Giroud carried him if he if no. the performance isn't the same. It just doesn't. That's not no. That it, means. You got to play with high-end players like no. Bergeron. Is, did Marshawn carry Bergeron? Like, stop. No, like, like th- that's just exaggerating a point. Like, if you want to say that Giroud was the offensive catalyst on that line, then yeah, I would buy that for sure. Of yeah. course he was, he but he was a lot, of, a lot of attention. Yeah, and like, look, like, is is Sean Couturier's forte generating offense in the offensive zone? No, never has been. But defending and getting the puck to the offensive zone is one of his yeah. fortes, and, and defending a, less. And defending less and allowing his wingers to be more offensive and more aggressive is his forte. And like we saw it in 1718 when Giroud moved to the wing for the first time. You saw that not having to defend all the time and having Sean Couture do that was one of the reasons why Giroud kind of had that reinv that rebirthed year. And look, I just like I it's fair to say that I don't think he's going to score almost 80 points this year because he's not playing with Giroud circa 2018. But I don't think it's fair to say that he's going to score 48 points because Giroud isn't there to carry him. Yeah, I think that's a bunch of bullshit. Um, you know, it's funny. I th- When I look back at 1920 that season, I was thinking about this the other day. And I was looking at that roster. And I was looking at it and I go, you know, why for, you know, two-thirds of that shortened season were they one of the best teams in the league? And I looked at it and I said, you know what? Thinking back on it, the reason for their success was that the system fit the personnel perfectly. Like, they didn't bring in these great guys. Like, they brought in Hayes on that free agency deal. They didn't have Nolan Patrick. They brought in Pitlick, who was a really good straight-line four-checker. Nicholas Albe-Kubel was a great straight-line four-checker that year in a bottom-six role. You look at, you know, the addition of Niskanen, who was just fit the system perfectly and really engage that role of being the commander in chief on the blue line. Like when you needed a nothing shift, a quiet shift, you go out there and give it to you. When you needed a big play, you go out there and give it to you. He meshed with Proveroff extremely well and you got good goaltending, but really the thing, the catalyst to their success that year was that other teams couldn't tamp down their four check, the two, one, two aggressive four check. They got so much of their offense by executing that 2-1-2 split four check so beautifully and teams couldn't figure out a way to kind of thwart it. When we saw in the bubble, the four check wasn't as good and they defended more. But that year, I mean, they gave up the least amount of shots. Why is that? Because the other team kept turning the puck over because of their four check and they weren't defending a lot too. No, that year, that year, the system was very strong. Like you would watch the game glove. And and I think it was such a weird year to watch because we haven't been accustomed to those types of, you know, system hockey games since the Peter Laviolette days. Yeah. Well, Berube had a system too, but it was a horrible system. <laughs> you know, he really changed as a coach for the better and credit to him. But yeah. in Philadelphia, it just really didn't work that time around. But 
I remember like by the time like December, January rolled around and you were saying like, man, the system is strong here. Like they know what they're doing, how they're going to do it. And the underlying numbers supported it, that they were legitimately like a top seven, eight team uh, across the board. And that was a year where, again, you didn't have like a true superstar because like Voracek wasn't that anymore. Giroux wasn't that anymore. Like, I think their best skater that year, aside from Katori, probably was Provorov. Yeah. And that was the year that uh, as a transition defenseman, he was probably elite. Like, I remember looking at some metrics. I actually post them on Twitter where he was in like the 95 plus percentile in all transition metrics for defensemen yeah. that year. And like it obviously really helped playing with a guy like Matt Niskanen in Sanheim. That was probably like his very that was his first like very good season. Yeah. Phil Myers came up, worked well in the regular season, playoffs, different story. You were able to slide Braun down to the third pair to play with Robert Hag, and they worked very well together. And you know, it's weird to say, but I almost feel like it was poor additions at the trade deadline that maybe broke all that up. Like Nate Thompson, I know everyone hates him and thinks he's the root of all evil in the world, but I don't think that him as a fourth line center in 2020 was the worst thing in the world. But I just remember like that Derek Grant addition to play three C. Like they, I wish they would have done better. Like that guy just wasn't meant for that role. Yeah, he's a fourth line player. Um, he gives you some versatility. You know, is a good faceoff man and can kill penalties. But yeah, I mean. You looked at that team, and it was all about that four check. That they never lost back to back games from January till the second round of the bubble, and a lot of it was predicated on that four check that just absolutely strangled teams. And then they they stuck with that four check when they didn't have the personnel to run it. Yeah, and that was that was the demise, I think, of Elaine Vigneault. Was that it? Didn't you know he never? I mean, look, we go four check, just change to a one two two, but that's not what that's not a belief system of a coach. They have their belief system. You got to have the players to execute it. They didn't eventually. Well, it's just coaches like AV. It's like you bring got you bring in a coach like that, much like Laviolette. I think that was also the problem with Laviolette, right? Is that like he kept running that aggressive forecheck with the defenseman being active, but you didn't have, you know, Chris Pronger there. You didn't have Matt Carl there anymore. Timo Timonen wasn't still elite elite and it was burying them. But, I mean, a guy like A.V., like, you bring him in and try and give him the players that he's going to work with. Like, he's not a guy that you're going to come in, that is going to come in and start adapting to deal with, like, certain players who aren't good enough. Yeah, so, I not mean, at that I, point in his professional coaching career. For sure not. And that's why when the COVID-shortened season in 2021 rolled around and, you know, you were asking guys like Limblom and Nolan Patrick. And I, I spoke about this with Mikey O before last season when he was saying like when you're trying to train younger players to play like fourth line defensive PK minutes, as opposed to just having veteran guys who like, they know that's their role. Like it's apples and oranges because young players, like you still don't fully know what you are and every single player. And you could try and lie your way out of it, but it's not, but it's simply not true. There's no young player that has a dream of coming in the NHL to be like a fourth line PK specialist. No, it's just not true. <laughs> yeah, that's not, that's not like the thing as a kid. You go, I can't wait to block shots and fill the lane on the PK. <laughs> and I remember we talked about it last week with Robert Hag. 
where yeah. like you're coming out of his draft year, coming over from Sweden. He was a power play defenseman, all this. And he quickly learned like, hey, if I'm going to make it to the show, I got to be the third pair, you know, stay at home PK guy. Yeah. And I think it's on the ice every once in a while. And yeah. And I think that for a guy like AV, when you go into the next season after like an otherwise very successful year and you don't have your Tyler Pitlicks anymore and you don't have your Matt Niskanen's anymore and you don't have like a guy like Nick Thompson, who obviously he liked and you have to call upon guys like Phil Myers to fill those shoes and Limblom to fill those shoes and Nolan Patrick and Albe Kubel to fill those shoes whose specific roles aren't really identified as NHLers yet, I could see how it would be problematic. Yeah, no doubt. Um, that's a good spot to wrap. Uh, read Ant's stuff at uh, thefourthperiod.com. And uh, make sure you follow Ant on Twitter. What's the Twitter handle, Ant? Adamarco25. That's okay. it. There you go. Uh, and we'll crank her up again next week. We'll be in September, if you can believe it. Holy and, shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're getting close now. Uh, this is the literal calm right before the storm that's going to begin with rookie camp and then into the rookie games and training camp and preseason. And we're going to be dropping the puck on the 22, 23 season before we know it. And thanks for doing this. We'll talk next week. Yeah, man. Looking forward to it. There he is. Anthony DeMarco joining us here on episode 61 of bet parks presents stick to hockey live. Some really interesting times right now. And we'll see. Where it goes, I'm not ready to make that prediction on wins or anything like that just yet. There's so much I need to see before I can make any kind of educated, semi-educated prediction on that. Just I am not ready to go there. I know people, you know, hockey on paper, sports on paper is one thing. Sports in reality are sometimes totally different. It's weird. There's a lot of variables, and I don't know what those variables are going to be. It's going to be coaching. It's going to be how players come together. You know, the human element of it. And everybody thinks we're going to stink. Does that pull them together and make them play, you know, more over their skis, a little above? Well, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but what I do know is it's time to get the Bet Parks app if you don't have it. If you have it, awesome. You can use the promo code Jason750 and get that risk free bet up to $750. If you just get it, you can also use the promo code Jason750 and get that risk free bet up to $750. It's for new and existing users. Terms and conditions do apply, but make sure you get the Bet Parks app. Get in on the action. College football's here. Pro football around the corner. You've got baseball and the remainder of the season. All this stuff is, it, it's interesting. And it's going to be fun to put your action on. Easy to put your action on with the Bet Parks app. So get it today. Navigate it. Same game parlays, live in-game betting, player performances, futures, you name it. It is all there for you to have fun, to navigate, to get your action in on all the sports going on, including pro and college football, including baseball, including the upcoming hockey and hoop seasons, both college and pro, including tennis, golf, Formula One, you name it. If, it. if it's happening in the world of sport around the globe, you can bet it. So get the Bet Parks app today. You need to be over 21 and present in Pennsylvania or New Jersey. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLING. Everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Leave us a five-star rating and review. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode and also expanded coverage coming as well in Season 2 of Stick to Hockey Live. I guess technically Season 3. But everybody, have a great weekend. Enjoy the last weekend of August. We'll talk to you next week right here on Bet Parks Presents Stick to Hockey Live.